thousand dollars was. Hey everybody, it's Friday. This is Travis. And I'm Ashley. And welcome back. <laughs> hey to everyone. another episode of Dead and Married. <laughs> Sorry, I've got the, the giggles. <laughs> You've got the tequila. Because <laughs> she's your lady. <laughs> we, <laughs> we may legit end up having a bloopers track that we do for you guys. Because I we started trying to do this episode and I completely flubbed up the beginning. <laughs> You're like Ron Burgundy on Anchorman trying to get warmed up. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm going to try to get through this. So, what's up? <laughs> and today we're going to be covering the 1995 film, Tales from the Hood, directed and written by Rusty Cundiff and written by Darren Scott, produced by Spike Lee. Um, this... Another Spike Lee joint. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, first for us, but... I don't think he... No, nah, there used to be a tagline on one of his movies. I don't remember. I, I think he still does that, but to my knowledge, this is one of the only horror films, I think, that his name is attached to. I'd have to look. I don't know that he did any other horror yeah, movies. Yeah, but anyway, so today we are covering this film, and it happens to be one of my personal favorites, and uh, true to form, it is not one of yours, right? That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. And it's just not... It's just not my thing. I have a hard time with most anthologies. Yeah. I think it's, you just don't get the, the same character development. I, in order for me to really like a movie, I have to kind of get attached to something in there. And mm -hmm. when they're constantly shifting gears, unless there's just something really awesome in there, it just doesn't do it. I, I get lost. Well, not lost. I lose interest, I think, because there's nothing, there's no character or anything that just keeps me wanting to see what happens next. Okay. But we can both agree that we like Mr. Sims at least. Oh, he's crazy as hell. <laughs> Yeah, Clarence Williams goes all out in this. And he's a great actor anyway, but yeah, he's got like the best dialogue. He's got crazy eyes. <laughs> he's got the Letterman gap. Like, this was probably the best utilization I've ever seen in a movie of a tooth gap. <laughs> right. <laughs> like they really played it. Yeah. Well, it's one of my favorites. I've got kind of a strange relationship with it. And you can kind of bust my balls for everybody here about it. But um... have no fear. <laughs> I first saw it when I was, I think, uh, 16 or 17. Um, I remember my parents renting it when I was like 12, maybe, and we weren't allowed to watch it. Now, I don't know what, I have a weird thing. Like, uh, I had aunts that would let me watch horror movies and that's where my love started. But my mom was different and she would not let us watch them. But for some reason, one night she just decided to load me and my sister up on junk food and let us watch it and I was fucking terrified of this movie for years like the ending left me completely shook that I couldn't look at the box I couldn't watch any promos I <laughs> like I couldn't watch Clar Clarence Williams or Tom Wright in any subsequent movies after this so well how long were we together before I made you sit and watch this and you were like why do you keep watching this movie if you're so scared of it <laughs> Yeah, because there's a part in the first episode that you wouldn't even look at. No. You'd like look away from the TV when it would come up. And then at the very end, you would always look away. Like, I, I don't understand that. And I was like, I, if I keep watching it, I'll build up my tolerance to where I'm not afraid of it anymore. And, and now I can watch it on loop like a whole day and, and be fine. So ultimately it worked out. You immunized yourself. <laughs> You're vaccinated against Tales from the Hood. Right. But anyway. Now you just need a booster. <laughs> a booster. Anyway. I have.
a very, very few movies that bother me anymore. I'm like completely jaded. However, there are certain subject matter and imagery and stuff that still sticks with me depending on the movie. So yeah, this was, this was one that was hard to get over for a while. <laughs> so having said all of that, Travis, what do you think about this movie? So it's not, it's not my favorite. It's not a bad movie. It's just, I don't know. Like I said, I have, I have trouble with anthologies. I, I don't know why. I, I think it is the character development thing. Like I need, I need something I can get behind uh, a hero or somebody that you can root for, but I don't make friends very easily. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I got to spend, it took 20 years. So <laughs> I, I have to spend some time with them. You know what I mean? Before right. I decide this is the character that I'm going to root for. Right. And in an anthology, I just don't really get that. I mean, they're all good stories. They, they seem to be well-directed, well-written. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just not for me. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's a, there's at least a couple of people you can root for in it. Uh, the majority, no. But there are there's a couple that you kind of, you, you hope that, you know, they... I was rooting for Clarence Williams. <laughs> you kind of hope that the bad guys get what's coming to them and the our hero protagonist, you know. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert. Clarence Williams is the devil, and he's my favorite. So, what would your mother say? <laughs> uh, don't even want to think about that. Anyway. Nothing good. <laughs> so, you ready to get started on this? Let's do it. Let's get in the shit. And now it's time for your obligatory spoiler warning. We don't just spoil movies here, they are spoiled rotten. So listen at your own risk or turn back now. So we open on some pretty awesome credits. Um, it has this like really kind of freaky sounding, uh, is it a fiddle? You know, that, did, 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 you know. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I think it's a fiddle, but uh, it's pretty creepy. Um, and then we have this tight shot on a on a skeleton that's all gangstered up with a bandana and gun and cigarette and gold tooth. It's pretty cool looking, but that leads us into our wraparound story of the movie. Why do they call it that? I, it doesn't I go all the way back around. Like you don't follow that story <laughs> to the end and then start back at the beginning. I don't, I don't know. It's a stupid name. It's more like a through story because it continues through the movie. You want to call it a reach around? <laughs> I'd get more out of that. <laughs> anyway, we digress. So, we get our wraparound story that's called Welcome to My Mortuary. I can't believe you just called it a wraparound story. <laughs> and this, this, this whole wraparound story, sorry, the wraparound story is probably my favorite part of this whole movie. Our three, um, our three gangsters and Mr. Sims, our mortician, is some of the best dialogue, some of the funniest dialogue, um, some of the most memorable, quotable moments of this movie for me. And I think you would agree with that. Oh yeah. The three, I don't know what to call them. They're not, and they're not protagonists, right? Cause they're not good guys. No. You can figure out very quickly that these are not good guys. Right. So they're not really protagonists. They don't do anything that makes you root for them from the beginning, but they're not antagonists either necessarily, at least not at this point. Yeah. So I'd have to say, yeah, my favorite part of the whole movie is Clarence Williams, the third. 
which is crazy, right? Because he does such a good job in this movie, but he was a theater actor and a damn good one. Yeah. I mean, he's he cannot only pull off creepy, I mean, as well as he does in this movie, but I've seen him, you know, do television work where he's pretty serious. I mean, you know, going back to my favorite, he's got a, I think it's a one, one or two episode arc in uh, Twin Peaks where he plays an FBI agent and of course my ass being terrified of him he came up there in Twin Peaks and I was like uh <laughs> you know I think I even did that in Half Baked which further explains my point that he can also be really funny like over the top funny funny so I thought he was pretty over the top funny in this one and this and it's <laughs> Cuban B and that's <laughs> Yeah, because this is not a funny movie. No. Like it's not, this is not a horror comedy. There are things in there that make you laugh a little bit, maybe. But 99.99% of that comes from Clarence Williams. And it's in the through story. I'm not going to call it a wraparound story. It's stupid. <laughs> but it's all him because nothing really is funny in any of the, the episodes. You know what's sad? Is this movie was marketed as a spoof movie. Like, I'm, I'm thinking people must have thought this was in the vein of um, Airplane or Don't Be a Menace or, you know, any of those uh, Wayans Brothers spoof type things. What would they have been spoofing? I have no earthly idea because it doesn't rip on any movie specifically. Like if, if you're talking about Don't Be a Menace, right? That's that's spoofing all of the 90s, 80s and 90s hood movies. The closest thing they get to a spoof on in this is Clockwork Orange. Yeah. And even then, it's not a spoof. I always think of those as something funny, right? Right. Like scary movie. Yeah. If, <laughs> if I'm going to watch any of those movies that you just named... I don't want to watch Scream. I want to watch Scary Movie. At okay, least, JP. At least there's something good in Scary Movie. <laughs> at least I get a chuckle out of that one. Yeah, but it's just really sad because there are some important issues tackled throughout this movie and none of it's funny. I mean, yeah, like you said, there's funny moments, but you know, the things that, and, and I believe I heard it on documentaries where they were saying um, that people were laughing and laughing, but they ended up making moments so uncomfortable that eventually people would be like, oh, right, this isn't funny. And it's just not. Like I said, there, there was a reason I was afraid of this movie for so long, and that's because one story in particular I have dealt with personally. And so it's kind of hard to take that stuff, you know, to a funny place if you have been through it yourself, you know. That being said, there is some really, really funny dialogue and this especially from our three main characters and Mr. Sims. Yeah, especially up front. Uh, when they first get there, uh, you know, when they're standing on the porch and they're trying to all be tough. And <laughs> and what's the uh, bulldog, right? The, the Bulldogs are our tough guy. He's the tough one of yeah. the three. And then you got the guy wearing, it's like a tracksuit, right? Yeah. And he's the pothead of the group. Well, that they're all smoking weed at the well, beginning. Well, they are, so. but... By the way, these parts are played by Joe Torre as Stack, DeAndre Bonds as Ball, Samuel Monroe Jr., and Clarence Williams III as Mr. Sims, respectively. So just throw that out there. <laughs> okay. So we get our character introduction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the tough guy, and then uh, which one is it, Ball? Yeah. He's the one that turns around when Clarence Williams opens the door. And... Oh, no, no, no. That's that's uh, Stack. Stack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But to be fair, the, the minute he opens that door and he just got, like, bust through with crazy eyes, like, I've been waiting for you. Shit, I'd run to. Oh, my gosh. I... <laughs> and I think I'd probably perform every bodily function on the way down. <laughs> but, yeah, when Stack turns around to run and hit, like, runs head first into, I guess, it's like a lantern hook. Yeah. Just flattens himself out. Yeah. Which is funny later because he hands him an ice pack. Yeah. And he holds it 
to the back of his head. Yeah, that's true. But he's got the bruise <laughs> on his forehead. Yeah. So. <laughs> Who knows? Or maybe hit his head harder on the ground. Yeah. Who knows? So yeah. if you've seen this movie, you guys know the basic premise. These guys are going to this funeral home to get a huge mass of drugs that apparently have been found by Mr. Sims, a.k.a. the shit. Ah, oh, the shit. A transaction's being made that they're going to pay Mr. Sims for this large quantity of drugs that he's found. And while they're discussing this transaction, Mr. Sims kind of leads them to a body in a coffin. And that's what leads us into our first official story of the movie. This one is called Rogue Cop Revelation. And it stars Wings Hauser as uh, Strom, Tom Wright as Martin Morehouse, Anthony Griffith as Clarence, Michael Massey as Newton, and Dwayne Whitaker as Billy. What did you think of this one? Again, it was good. It's a good story. It's a sad story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the social part of it or any of that stuff. It's just, it, it's something that I'm sure happens or mm-hmm. has happened. Well, I think this kind of came out around the time of the L.A. riots and stuff, so it was a pretty bad climate at the time. But Yeah, yeah the uh, the riots, I think, happened in about 92, and mm-hmm. this movie came out in 1995. I, I remember the L.A. riots, seeing them on the news when I was a kid. And unfortunately, this movie is still, it's still very, or the story, I mean, in particular, is still very relevant today. But anyway, so... We start with these two cops, Clarence and Newton, and this was Michael Massey's first role, I believe, after taking a year off after The Crow for the accidental death of Brandon Lee, which really sucks. Um, Michael Massey's been in a lot of stuff that I've enjoyed, so, but it, it was good to see him back. I think he passed away a few years ago or a couple of years ago, something like that. But anyway, so they're on this, they're doing their nightly rounds, I guess. <laughs> I don't know the lingo, you know. Uh, they were patrolling. Patrolling, yeah. My my brother's a cop, and yet I still know nothing about this. <laughs> but they came up on the other two that had already, I guess it was supposed to be a traffic stop. Quote, traffic stop. Yeah. <laughs> we use that, that phrase loosely. <laughs> yeah. The two cops, Strom and Billy, have Martin Morehouse, um, played by Tom Wright, up against his car, like, patting him down, and he's telling him, you know, or asking, why are you pulling me over? You don't have any reason to. And they're like, oh, you have a traffic light out. Um, And then he smashes his taillight with his nightstick. Yeah. Guy's such a douche. Yeah. Um, And and I will say this for Wingshauser. He does a fantastic job of being a dick. Yeah, and I'm I'm confused. Like, what is the deal with him and Cole Hauser, his son? You know, because because he's a dick too. Well, what was it like? In his characters, I don't know him personally, <laughs> but yeah, we we know there's a lot of moms that like Yellowstone out there, so don't come at us. Okay, well, I've never watched that show. <laughs> I tried once, and it's just not me. Right, uh, but I do remember him from Pitch Black, and he was a dick in that movie. Yeah, but what did Higher Learning come out? I can't remember if Higher Learning came out before this movie or after, but. They almost play the same type of role because Cole Hauser plays a skinhead in that movie. Yeah. And freaking scary. I mean, uh, he... Well, now, here's here's another thing. Did Wings Hauser do anything after this movie? You know... Or was this his last one? He... I did uh, hear an interview where he said he didn't take on another role like this after this. Um, he said he kind of felt like it was something he did. He was glad he did it, but now it's out of his system and he wasn't doing it again. And I'm like, is that... He's glad he did it. Is that a is that a thing you need to get out of your system? Does he think it gives him credibility? (laughs) I don't know. Like, hey, I can be a douchebag cop. Like, like not that all cops are. Just this particular guy. (laughs) This cop was a racist fucker. 
Yeah. So I just, yeah, I don't get it. You need to get that out of your system. And and uh, I believe that Corbin Burnson said something in the same vein about, you know, we don't, we don't do these things in real life, but there's a part of all of us, or there's a part in all of us that have this. And I'm like, what uh, kind of statement is that? Maybe you, like, I don't have a racist well, and, thing lurking in my body. <laughs> and his segment comes up much later, but he did... They did say in an interview that we watched that he he apologized before and after nearly every line that he said. Corbett Burnson did. Yeah. That he was like, I'm sorry, I have to say this, but I don't mean it. And then he'd, you know, do his lines. <laughs> yeah, didn't he say something like, don't jump me or something? I'm like, I would have jumped him just for saying that. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, everybody knows what you're about to say. Just say it get it over like with. you know what reverse racism is right <laughs> so, anyway anyway so they're telling him basically that he's that uh, morehouse like you're not gonna take any more cops off the streets and he's like well if they keep selling drugs in my community i'm going to and you know strom's like talking about you're gonna ruin good cops lives and he's like i don't have anything against good cops but i'm gonna see every low-life scum like you kicked out of the department well that pisses strom off and he, like, yeets his head through a car window. Which, is that even possible? Like, I, I've been wondering about that. Because isn't that glass, like, pretty thick? Yeah, I mean, you could. You'd have to really get behind it, though. That glass is pretty tough. I mean, I'm, I'm having flashes to Karate Kid. <laughs> What's his butt punching through this window? Karate Kid was not a documentary. <laughs> Neither is this. Anyway, so him throwing uh, Morehouse's head through the glass makes Morehouse decide he's going to stand up for himself, right? As you would. So he throws a, a punch, but unfortunately, he's way outnumbered. And so the cops proceed to take out their nightsticks and beat the holy shit out of him. And it's a very hard scene to watch. Um, it goes on for too long, but I think that was the intent. They wanted... To make the audience uncomfortable to see like this is real like this is the extent of you well know. there's and directors do that on purpose to make you uncomfortable because i know that there are scenes in other movies where something terrible is happening and they show you just a glimpse of it and then they cut away right mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't really give that moment the impact that it needs right necessarily and in this one they he didn't shy away from it no i would say it's very impactful and then to have billy holiday's strange fruit playing in the background just adds to that and it's very haunting and very sad song if you've never heard it i urge you to listen to it um what was it again uh strange fruit by Billy Holiday. Yeah, paired up in this scene, it works so well. And I don't specifically know how long that scene runs for, but it feels like it goes on for a very long time. But meanwhile, our cop, our rookie cop, I should say, um, Clarence, he's running the plates in the back and how he has no idea what's going on is beyond me. Like those cop cars aren't very far away from each other. It seems like he would have been able to hear the glass breaking and then beating him up. Like, like, are you just off in your own world, dude? Cause yeah, I don't get that. Cause I mean, they're basically parallel parked and yeah, this is happening two cars in front of him. Yeah. So I don't know how he missed all that. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know, but he discovers on, upon, um, running his plates that Martin Morehouse is is considered a political agitator and then it kind of the light bulb goes off and he's like oh my god you know this is martin morehouse so he he jumps out of the car and he tries to break up this fight and meanwhile newton's telling the guys hey not in front of the rookie you're not in front of the rookie and trying to break it up and clarence is kind of ready to throw down with strom at that point but newton breaks it up and he's like come on let's 
let's get back to work. And he tells, uh, Newton tells Strom, he's like, you know what you have to do. So... Well, they told Clarence they were going to take him to the hospital right. first. Right, uh-huh. Like, that's, I think that's how he convinces Clarence to, let's go, these guys are going to take him to the hospital. Right. Which, why he believed that. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think I would have been like, no, I'm going to see him to the hospital personally. And then I'm going to turn all three of you in after this. Well, like. From what I understand, and this is nothing against your brother, that <laughs> is not how it works in the police. Yeah. Well, I mean, they talk about it, the code. Yeah. But if you're a cop, you just don't turn in your fellow officers. I mean, I get it. If he, if he had, if he had not quit the force and turned these guys in, then he would have been considered a snitch, right? I mean, then that would have... I think, they, I think it, it's a lot like prison in that respect. Yeah. Then, you know, he would have had everybody turning on him. Which is funny, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Police officers talk about that. Snitches get stitches and they do the same damn thing. Yeah. Not all. Not, not all. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a political show, guy. <laughs> but we know they're out there. Yes. So, anyway, unfortunately... Uh, Morehouse does not get taken to the hospital. They drive him over by some docks, I guess, at a bay or something, and they fill his trunk full of, what was that, heroin? They put a couple bricks of heroin in his trunk. Yeah, and then they shoot him up in the arm because not only are they going to get him to basically leave them alone, but they're going to frame him at the same time. Well, they're destroying his legacy. Yes. So we cut to a year later and... Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a problem with this shot and it's continuity error. So, you know, they they shoot him full of heroin Uh and then the car, like the guy's standing on the, uh, just inside the door steering Uh and the car's rolling backwards Mm -hmm. down the hill. Uh-huh. With the, the, I guess the the officer in the squad car is guiding him down or whatever. Yeah. And you see it picking up speed, but then when it goes off in the water, it's facing forward. I don't guess as many times as I've watched this, I don't guess I've ever noticed that. So. Yeah. So at some point, the car turns around. <laughs> I'll have to look for that again. It's so, funny. Anyway. Like, as many times as you watch a movie, you can still pick up things. <laughs> so yeah. clearly I need to watch it again. But like I was saying, we cut to a year later and Clarence is... He's in rough shape. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. He's, uh... Instead of doing the right thing, he decided to drink himself to death. Yeah. He looks rough. He's, uh... He's kind of cracking up, I guess. Or we think that he may be cracking up. And this is going to lead me to a theory... But we'll get to it. But he starts hearing the voice of Morehouse in his head uh, calling his name. And so we see him stumbling in an alley, drinking. And he gets to a place in this alley that's got a giant mural of Morehouse painted on it. And I wish I could read everything it says. Um, It's a a really uh, cool mural. But he gets to it and he's hearing Morehouse talking to him, telling them to bring them to me. You know, basically the other cops. And we see that this imagery of Morehouse on the cross and just basically he just keeps repeating that bring them to me and um, Clarence is like I will I will I will he says that like several times but the next thing is we are in the cemetery and Clarence is waiting on one of the tombstones and our cops show up and they want to know what what they're doing there and he's like it's the anniversary of what we did and they don't they're they're dicks about it they could care less they assume no response responsibility and what happened, but Clarence thinks they need to go pay their respects. And behind his back, the other cops are plotting to kill him. So Strom decides he's got this wonderful idea, and all the guys are going to love it, of course, that he's going to take a piss on Morehouse's grave. And so he does, and he tries to convince Billy 
to do it after him. And Billy, of course, is kind of... Yeah, Billy starts, well, I went before we left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really have to go right now. <laughs> he should have went before we left. He did go before they left. <laughs> but... He finally listened to his mother. <laughs> It kind of starts a little bit of a scuffle, but it's quickly broken up and Billy decides to go ahead and follow suit. Well, while he's going, um, we see a hand shoot out of the grave. It grabs him by the dick. (laughs) I'm still not sure he grabbed him by the dick and not by the pants. It makes me feel better to think that (laughs) because if anybody deserved it, it's him. Twist his dick! Yeah. Some MMA it, looks, it looks it looks almost exactly like the shot from Dead Alive. It does. Like trying to piss on a grave, grabs him by the dick. Like secretly, I hope that's what really happens if somebody does try to pee on a grave. Yeah. Like but, a hand reaches up, grabs him by the dick. I'm just saying we don't see any evidence of that. Like he doesn't have his wang out or anything. It's just, you know. Maybe it was and you just couldn't see it. Anyway. But he, uh, <laughs> he pulls him in, into the ground. And, of course, the guys are, like, freaking out. Where did he go? Where did he go? Well, clearly, he's in the ground now, guys. Like, did you not just see? But, anyway, <laughs> he's pulled under. And as they're freaking out, we get this kind of dirt explosion thing happen. And what did they use for that? It was an air cannon. Yeah. And, fun fact, they shot this in a real cemetery. I can't believe they let I'm them do that. I am amazed exactly that they would even let them do that. I know. And you... the, the part where his heart was ripped out, I guess that was an after-the-fact sort of added thing. Like, Yeah. They did, that wasn't originally in the, what do they call it, the storyboards or whatever. Uh-huh. And so they, I guess they went to the hardware store and got, I don't know, they MacGyvered up a hole in his chest. Yeah. So. But you could see all the dirt, like, clinging to it and stuff from yeah. that explosion. It still looked good, though. Yeah, hell yeah, it did. But, yeah, so you you just told him. Uh, he gets his heart ripped out by Morehouse, and he's standing on the grave holding his uh, beating heart. And I've got to tell you that, to date, this is still, to me, the scariest zombie ever committed to celluloid. I know there's a whole shitload of you out there that are like, what? <laughs> but he's fucking scary and this is not the first time he's even had this type of role he also played the hitchhiker in creep show 2 so this dude as a zombie has been scaring my little ass for decades he just he clearly does the best zombies i've heard people say you know this maybe this wasn't the best makeup but it was plenty effective on me because i was like holy shit Well, and there's a ton of zombie movies out there, and so in the grand scheme of things, makeup on this one was pretty good. I thought so. And I think what makes him a more intimidating zombie for some is that he's not a mindless brain eater. No, he has a purpose. He's not a walker. (laughs) Stupid name for a zombie. (laughs) Anyway, he's he's more like a malevolent force. Yeah. You know, he's it's it's a thinking entity that's coming to get you, and I think that makes it a little more frightening. And for the pursuit of these cops, you know, he does this like kind of teleporting Jason Voorhees style teleportation throughout which just adds to the creepiness there's a shot where he's rolled off a car and lands in the street his eyes are closed but then they have this uh, piano cue and his eyes fly open and I oh my god and then he shows up on the trunk of the squad car he's like it's me (laughs) right (laughs) but he picks our cops off one by one, obviously, he decapitates Strom. Um, he got off too easy. He he did, they I agree. They should have switched those roles around. I, like, if anybody deserves what's coming next, it was Strom. I totally agree. Wasn't um, that a scheduling problem? Like, they had intended Strom to get the worst death? Yeah. But, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because of the filming schedule or something like that, it, they had to make it. Was Mike Massey? Yeah. He had to be the one yeah. that got the, the shitty death. 
Or yeah. the appropriate one. Yeah. Um, which it's it's a cool it's a cool sequence, his death sequence, you know, he crucifies him with a bunch of hypodermic needles up against that mural wall in the alley. And as yeah, he's so we jumped ahead. So basically what's his name? The cop? Strom? Not or Newton. 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 He stops the car or wrecks it or whatever, he jumps out and he runs and he's back in the alley uh-huh. where Clarence was earlier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind of there. What do you call it? The Skid Row sort of area. Mm-hmm. And there's hypodermic needles all over the ground. And that's where and, the zombie catches up yeah. with him. And there's a very nice plug for natural born killers there, too. <laughs> did you notice that in the background? I did not. <laughs> but, yeah. So, he, uh, like I said, he pins him to a wall with these these needles and they start this really cool sequence of newton's body face everything melting into the wall and becoming graffiti itself it's really creepy the way that it's the way it looks Uh, they did a hell of a job on it um and it's a really effective sequence and then um you know everything is kind of wrapped up at that point and clarence feels i think he's feeling pretty proud of himself at this moment he feels like he's justified yeah or something He's he's made this penance, yeah, of a sort. But Morehouse is like, nah, son. <laughs> he's like, well, he was like, where were you when I needed you, brother? Yeah. So, so we end up seeing uh, Clarence in the paddy wagon after that. Well, you know, padded room. He's in the sanitarium. He's not. In a <laughs> paddy wagon is like prisoner transport. Okay, you knew what I meant. But anyway, but our listeners <laughs> didn't. I'm He's in a sorry, sanitarium in a straight jacket, a powder, in a, in a <laughs> I'm padded sorry. room. I almost said powdered room. That would be weird. <laughs> and a powder's nose. <laughs> yeah. So this is where the, the thing comes up, right? Was there ever really a zombie? Yes. Or did Clarence kill all those cops? Yes. This was the theory I wanted to talk about. Which one was it? It's. I feel like it could go either way. Like you could go with, yeah, Clarence had so much guilt over what happened that he snapped and went back to take revenge on these cops. Nah, fuck that guy. He let it happen in the first place. He doesn't deserve that. Yeah. He deserves to be in the padded room. Yeah. I vote for Morehouse getting his revenge. Yeah. So that that's what I subscribe to is that's, I think... That's not necessarily no. what did happen. It's what, in my mind, I want to think happened. Yeah. Well, yeah, I subscribe to, yeah, Morehouse totally did it. And it, it was great. I, I think it's... Clarence just took the rap for killing those white cops. Yes, he did. So he didn't win. Right. Well, Morehouse did. Clarence did not. So is that the the continuation of Clarence's penance? That he gets the the death of these cops pinned on him, and he spends the rest of his life talking a, to himself. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a it's a very bleak ending for sure. This is not a happy ending. At no, all. not at all. But it is a really good story. Well, it's happy in that three shitty cops got taken off the street. Yes, that's about it. Yeah, but the effects everything um the acting i know people are like mm, there's kind of some iffy dialogue in there but i feel like it's a good story and i think it works very well, well. okay how many movies had this guy written before he did this one? Oh goodness i'm not really sure i know i know what he kind of did since then but he's done a lot since but i don't know that this was his first one yeah so I, that kind of just kind of goes back to my thing is that typically writers get better the more they do. Yeah. Well, I believe that Darren Scott, he did a lot of work on some horror movies yeah. before. Like, he had a history. But as far as uh, Rusty Cundiff, I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, he's done some good movies since then, but I think this might have been... Well, he did a lot I of have... the writing for Chappelle show, which we love. Oh, so. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... So See, that's, that's the thing. That's what kills me. People give Dave Chappelle a lot of credit for being funny as hell. He's not. His writers are. Uh, his Dave writers, Chappelle's still funny. His I writers are different. funny as hell. <laughs> I still think Dave Chappelle's funny. <laughs> 
But anyway, so we go back to Mr. Sims and our our three main characters and, you know, they feel like the cops got what they had coming and, you know, as we all do, but they're, you know, they heard the story, they're ready to go. And this doesn't affect them. So other than sort of agreeing with the resolution of the story, they could care less. Right. They're just like, yeah, cops got killed. We're good. Yeah. Where's the drugs? Right. The shit. Where's the shit? But Sims isn't having any of this. He starts uh, talking about reality being a matter of perception. And we go into another room and he opens another casket and the guys see something really bad. What type of shit? Thus leading us into our next story called Boys Do Get Bruised. And this one stars David Allen Greer as Carl, Paula Jai Parker as Sissy, Brandon Hammond as Walter, and Rusty Cundiff, director himself, playing Mr. Garvey. Okay, so I just want to go ahead and say this. This is my favorite one. And I know how that sounds. It's my favorite one because of David Allen Greer. And that's because this is, like, guy's a good actor. Mm-hmm. But you always see him being a goofball, mm-hmm. right? He's the cop in Jumanji. He's in, in Living Color. Mm-hmm. And you never get, you hardly ever see actually him in a know. serious role. I don't know that I've ever seen him in a serious role right. other than this. Yeah. And the dude nailed it. Oh, yeah. He's a dick. He's terrifying. In this, in this movie, he's a dick. Yeah. He pulled off but scary very well. God does a fantastic job. Like, this was probably the biggest surprise for me. Like, yeah. I had seen Clarence Williams and other stuff. I knew he could pull off, you know, a creepy, weird mortician. Mm-hmm. I knew that. But to see David Allen Greer do this was pretty awesome. Yeah. So this was the one I was saying, you know, I could relate to the most. I grew up with some domestic abuse whenever I was a kid. And so it was the harder one for me to watch. I know there were people that thought that this one was funny. And I guess it was because seeing David Allen Greer do this part. But again, I did not find it funny at all. Um, however, that being said, I love the practical effects in this short. They're amazing. Um, I love Screaming Mad George, all of his work. Some of you may know his stuff from probably Society being the most notorious, the infamous shunting scene. Um, but he also did like the cockroach scene in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which has terrified our son for years. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I can't say enough about the practical effects in this movie. They're amazing. Trying to think of stuff I didn't like in this one. Apart from the subject matter, again, in maybe... Mr. Gary. Garvey? Garvey. (laughs) (sighs) If there was a... Whatever. If there was a performance in here that wasn't great, it would be his. Now, I say that, take it with a grain of salt. If you take his performance and you put it up against David Onger's performance, mm-hmm. anybody else is going to mm-hmm. look a little meh. Right. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. Greer, he brought it. Yeah. So maybe his performance is just a little wooden to me mm-hmm. by comparison. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think he had much acting honestly, experience before honestly, this. Honestly, the little kid did a better job. Oh, I actually... Isn't that the Soul Food kid? Yeah. <laughs> Soul Food, Space Jam. Oh, what movie what was it we watched the other day? Menace to Society. I think he was a younger version of our main character. Character. He was like drinking out okay. in the stoop. They gave him beer, remember? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that kid had a hell of a few years there. He was in just about everything. Um, this was like one of his last roles, so that, that kind of bums me out a bit because kid, he's an amazing actor and apparently he could cry on cue and all the times that he cries in this one, you believe it. Like, it really looked like somebody just whooped the shit out of him because he really brought the tears and emotion and really feel for him. Well, 
he could cry on cue, then those were real tears. Well, I know, so. but I'm just saying, you have you have some people, they, they'll do the crying, and yes, they can physically cry, but you still don't buy it, you know? They're just like, I can make water leak from my eyes. But, you know, well, they don't always. necessarily bring the emotion. Sometimes they're crying, and like, you get two <laughs> drops, it's like, now they need more Visine, cut, cut. <laughs> yeah, a single man tear. <laughs> Anyway. But anyway, and uh, the mother in this one. Uh, I said Paula Jai Parker. It's Paula J. Parker. And I love her. <laughs> she's She's been in some of my favorite movies. Uh, Don't Be a Menace. Friday, of course. Um, I think she did voice for the Proud Family. Um, so she... She was Ice Cube's uh, girlfriend. I just said Friday. Friday. Yeah. I just I just put them together. Yeah. Okay. Big booty hoes. <laughs> yeah. No, she's good. Who is that bitch? <laughs> Love her. Me and me and my seventh grade best friend. We used to say that shit all the time. No, ah, who is that bitch? So. She's great. She and she's another one that you, we're used to seeing her in such comedic stuff. That this was this was really different. And I can't imagine the emotional toll a part like this would have on I, you. I got to be honest. She looked different in this movie to mm-hmm. me, and, and I did not even put her together as being the same person. Right. So yeah, yeah. good makeup and good acting because I would never have put those two together. Yeah, yeah. She did a she did an amazing job for sure. But our premise in this story is that there's a little boy that thinks that there's a monster hiding in his room. That's all we see at, at this point. We just see a monster trying well, to get into his room at night as he's trying to sleep. Yeah, it's not hiding in his room. It's coming well, into coming his room. Well, coming into his room, room yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you get, in the beginning, you get like a glimpse of a big claw uh-huh. kind of coming around the door, but... Yeah. They, they do a good job. Like, you don't get a monster reveal. No. Well, you do, just not the one you're expecting. Right. So, um, we we follow Walter as he's a new kid in school. And right off the bat, they're kind of setting him up like he's got a shit life. There's kids uh, beating him up on the playground. Well, and... that's because the teacher made him introduce himself and made the whole class say hello. <laughs> do you want to hear something what funny? What kind of stupid shit is that? I don't know why teachers do that. So... It's so you'll get your ass kicked your first day. I guess it builds character. So, here's the thing I do almost every time I watch that segment of him getting introduced is they they do that thing hello Walter and I always think of Cleveland from Family Guy so I always do hello Peter okay we should probably keep your impressions to a minimum on this (laughs) you love them we do want people to continue to listen (laughs) to us but it's just funny because as soon as you said it, that was the first thing I thought of. But anyway, um, yeah, he ends up getting beat up by some bullies on the school in the schoolyard. And Mr. Garvey, played by our director, he comes in, breaks it up, and he sends Walter to the nurse, which is where they discover that he's got bruises on his body. Well, he's got a black eye. Oh, right, 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 right. It, start, it starts well, out with a black it's eye. It's not anymore. It's turned green at this point. Yeah. And that's the thing is that he it's thought... one of those good bruises. Oh. Oh. This thing's hurt. <laughs> he uh he thinks that one of the boys did it, but the nurse points out that no, this bruise is kind of several days old. Yeah. And so they start to ask him, you know, did your mother do it? Did your father do it? And Walter's like, No, my father's dead. And so they keep going through and asking him who who did it. And they finally Walter finally tells them it was a monster. And so they're kinda like, Yeah, okay, whatever. And if you don't want to tell us anything, but he said nobody would believe me. Well, which is so that, sad. He said that the monster moved in after his dad. Daddy died. That, yeah, he did. He, he Which moved that in should with have been an indicator died. to them right there. 
You would think. So the next question there should have been, you know, does your mom have a boyfriend or do you have a stepdad or something like that? Right. But these people suck at their jobs. Yeah. Because they didn't ask that question. Yeah. But um, we get kind of just a little bit of montage stuff after this of Walter, the monster coming into Walter's room and him showing up with fresh bruises the next day. And then one day at recess, while the kids are playing, Walter's drawing a picture and Mr. Garvey's like, hey, why aren't you with the other kids? And he's like, I don't even remember what his response was to that. I don't think he gave a response. But he asked him what he's doing and, and who he's drawing and he says, the monster. Yeah, I don't get that. You can see the kids sitting there coloring. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> like, aren't you supposed to be the teacher? You're supposed to be the smart guy here. I'm sitting here fucking coloring. You're asking me what I'm doing? Yeah. I got a crayon in my hand. I'm coloring. What does it look like? I'm yeah. making a masterpiece. So Walter then tells Mr. Garvey his theory that if he draws the monster and crumbles it up or burns it, that the monster will go away. Well, some, some girl in class told him that. Yeah. Lord, that's sits behind you yes but um mr garvey of course is think he's treating this like it's just childhood nonsense you know kids being kids and he tells him well that's not gonna solve anything and maybe i should talk to your mother and walter's like it's not gonna do you any good you know we've already moved once and she's not gonna she's not gonna have it but mr garvey says he's he's gonna go he's gonna set up a meeting with his mother anyway in the meantime he's gonna get back down to recess so after mr garvey leaves we see a drawing of Tyrone, the boy who just beat him up. And Walter picks it up and starts to crumble it. And all of a sudden we hear screaming. So the next thing we see is an ambulance at the school. And uh, one of the teachers says that he, that Tyrone broke both arms and legs falling down. Must have had weak bones. <laughs> exactly. And Mr. Garvey's like, you know, did somebody shove him? And he's like, no, he just fell, sort of collapsed. So, did he fall at the same time that Mr. Garvey brushed the picture of him off of uh, Walter's desk? Oh. Did you notice that? When he walked away, that picture, he, like, he brushed it off. So, you think that landed on the floor. Yeah. And then Walter picked it up and wadded it up in the ball. I so never did he thought fall of that. Because he knocked the picture off his desk. That's a good question. Huh. You got to pay attention to this shit. <laughs> but we see Walter up in the window looking at it like, yeah, that's I right. I got you. I got you. <laughs> So later that night, Mr. Garvey shows up to Walter's house and we start seeing things through Walter's perspective a little bit. Um, Kind of like, I don't know, it, it puts you in the mindset of a child. You're sitting there and you're watching all these adults talking about you behind your back and you're, well, you and can't do we, anything about I it. I think we've all had that moment where you get told when you're a kid and you get told, go to your room, the grownups are talking. Yeah. You're like, fuck y'all, you ain't talking about anything important. <laughs> sitting here bitching about me. Go to my room. <laughs> Just let me be here and defend myself. Right. But uh, Mr. Garvey is telling Sissy about the bruises showing up on his body. and Oh, she... she's all over him up until that point, though. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to bring that up, but... <laughs> oh, no. She was throwing it at him. She's like, she answers the door, what, in a robe? Yeah. And she's like, let me go put on some clothes. Yeah. And she shows up like, it's it's basically a nightgown. Well, she had she just gotten out of the shower. She didn't put on a bra. Come on, she's got company. Put a bra on. She did. <laughs> Don't tell me you didn't notice. No, I didn't. Okay, well, I did. <laughs> Like, if you got company, somebody you don't even know coming to your house, you got to put some real clothes on. Yeah. Yeah, well, how many times have we been sitting in the living room, you know, in our underwear or something, and then somebody showed up to sell us electricity or, you know, give us a religious pamphlet or something like that? No, those religious people don't come to our house anymore. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I kind of do that, like, duck down in the I'm floor just and roll around maneuver. That if one of the kids' <laughs> teachers showed up at our house, we are going to be properly dressed. Well, I'm just saying. She comes out wearing a nightgown and she's all, hey. 
Well, up until they bring up the monster thing, right. and that's another thing. Like, if she knows that David Allen Greer is going to come up and kick the shit out of her, is she really going to be trying to talk to this guy, or is she going to be like, "You need to go." Yeah. Like, if you're still here when he gets here, he's going to kick my ass. You got to go. Yeah. See, I think that would be more realistic. Probably. Her acting was good. I'm not taking anything away from the performance. I just think that the way this that that initial interaction between the two of them mm-hmm. is suspect. Well, they they. I don't know. In my opinion, they kind of set it up where maybe she's trying to make friends with him and maybe, you know, a cry for help. Oh, she type was of trying thing. to make friends all right. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. She, she's she's all about it until he brings up the monster and then she gets pissed. Yeah. Um, because she tells him, he, when he asks about the bruises, she tells him that he's just clumsy. Um, and then he says, well, he's also got a preoccupation with monsters. And that's where she's like, ah, shit. So she calls him down there. We've all been in this situation many times where we're like, oh, shit, what did I do? So she calls him down there and she just. <laughs> I never had that. What did I do? <laughs> I never, not once when my parents were hollering for me, did I say, oh, shit, what did I do? Mine was, oh, shit, I got caught. <laughs> So she grabs him very firmly by the shoulder, shaking him. She tells him, you know, like, didn't we talk about this? I told you not to be doing this anymore. And then they hear a car honk. And they both equally look up like, oh, God. And so we know somebody's there that we probably aren't going to like or should be afraid of. And Mr. Garvey's kind of like, what? You know, what's going on? And so at that point, Sissy's trying to get him out the door. Like, she's covering herself up with a sweater. See? Exactly. She's covering herself up. (laughs) She knew she was not dressed appropriately to talk to his teacher. Yeah, but we have differences of opinion on that. Anyway, but but Carl, played by David Allen Greer, comes in through the door and he's he's already agitated the minute he walks in. He's like, why didn't you get the door? And who's this? Okay, I don't get that. She wants him, he wanted her to just stand there with the door open because he he honked. He was still in the damn car. Like you're supposed to stand there with the door open until he gets there. I don't know. Maybe it's like a 1950s thing. He had what, a briefcase and a jacket? His other hand didn't work. He couldn't open the door. <laughs> so she didn't lock it behind the teacher. Anyway. Well, I said, maybe it's a 1950s thing. She's, st- she's expected to open the door. Maybe it's a, he's a dick thing. Here's your glass of tea. Put your feet up. <laughs> type of situation. But he asks, who's who's this? Who's this guy? And she says, it's just one of Walter's teachers. He came over to bring homework. And Mr. Garvey's like, uh, no. I came here to talk about your son because he's having some problems. So they... Tell Walter, like, go to your room because he's been sitting in our store in the stores. <laughs> he's been sitting in the stores. He's been sitting on the stairs watching this. They tell him, go to your room. And they all go to the kitchen to have a talk. And Mr. Garvey's uh, talk again, talking the same thing about the bruises, but more importantly, the monsters. And Walter is fascinated with one monster in particular, and he says he wants to kill him. So Carl's looking over the drawing, and he kind of plays it aloof. He's like, I'll, I'll talk to him. And Mr. Garvey's like, what? He goes, oh, you'll talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like... I said I'll talk to him. <laughs> yeah, he gets very scary, and that's our first, well, not our first, but kind of an early indication that, you know, this guy's bad news. Well... Teacher, you better shut up. You're fixing to get hit. <laughs> like, he's fixing to knock the shit out of you. You better put your attitude up, teacher man. <laughs> but he tells Sissy that she needs to show him to the door. And dude didn't even get a sip of his tea. He was just like, get him out of here. No, he was like, I see how it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's yeah, like, you should have seen how it is when you walked in the door, guy. <laughs> Thanks for the tea. <laughs> and, I mean, he was the one giving the tea. He didn't get to get any tea. Yeah, so. <laughs> the monster moved in when my daddy died. This dick Carl is clearly not this boy's daddy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
This guy's a little slow. Yeah. <laughs> but so he leaves and he, he tries to talk to Sissy again. And she's like, no, just, just go. Just leave. So we get Walter up in his room and all of a sudden we hear the monster sounds again. The twisting of the doorknob that we saw before. And Walter goes and he cowers in a corner because he, he knows he's in trouble. And he comes in and this is something I think is really cool. It shows the silhouette of Carl like having a man's body but having a monster head. And what they did was, because they didn't have anything. So on the fly they used uh, the mold for Clarence Williams's uh devil head on top of his head like they had like i think it was like well they said that he just, he just held something. it up yeah because it's a continuous shot from walter up to carl mm-hmm. so when it when it, the camera moves away you don't see the shadow anymore i guess while they were shooting greer he just like tossed it down mm-hmm. so it was one smooth transition yeah and it's really cool it looks very good it worked but in a painfully long scene he proceeds to beat the shit out of walter and then a sissy comes in and tries to break it up he wails on her with the belt very very hard to watch uh there were people that thought it was funny because he's using this uh what they call that tiger punch or palm punch or well, he's something hitting her with, he's hitting them with the palm of his hand instead yeah. of his fist and people apparently thought that was funny. They were like, what kung fu school did he go to or whatever? Where did he get his training? But uh, then he takes off his belt, one fluid motion, Indiana Jones style, and just proceeds to, yeah, just wail on her with this belt. And it's really hard to watch. And her performance is very gripping and realistic. And I kind of, I've, I've gotten better, but I used to just cry when that scene would come on. I couldn't, couldn't watch, but I've gotten better over time. And then Garvey, he starts to kind of see the shadows from his car outside, which was pure luck. That was very convenient. Well, he could hear it and he looked up. Yeah. He could hear Sissy screaming and so he looked up. Yeah. And so he runs back to the house and he's trying to stop it. And he's telling Carl, take it easy. And that just, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. And he's like, take it easy. This is your motherfucking house. <laughs> So then he starts to beat up on Garvey. I mean, bless him. Garvey was trying, but he's he just wasn't. He was outmatched. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know what he thought he was going to roll in there and do, but it didn't work. And through Walter's perspective, you're hearing this growling, these monster noises, but it's almost at the same time like Carl has a monster strength too at the same time. Like he just seems completely larger than life. And then you get this tattoo reveal on his arm that says monster, which my kids always laugh at too because the way he says monster, monster. So <laughs> the kids think that's funny because his voice goes so high pitched. But uh, that, that goes on for a few minutes and Sissy has been trying and trying and trying to defend them. And it's really sad that she's having to defend, like, she doesn't have... What yeah. am I trying to say? Well, she doesn't have a protector there. Yes. And Mr. Garvey, who was supposed to be, is now getting his ass handed to him, too. Yes. So now she's got to defend herself, Mr. Garvey, and Walter. Yes. So uh, she goes after Carl with a frying pan. Big cast iron fucker, too. Like, that shit would have hurt. But Carl takes it from her, and he's about to get her with the pan. And then all of a sudden, we see his arm fold back. And we look over at Walter, and he made a crease in the paper, uh, the the drawing of the monster. Yeah. So we're like, whoa. And then he does the legs. Yes. 
And then he twists the paper around, causing Carl's body to twist up and spin around. And he just kind of becomes a Carl puddle. <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> like he's yeah. got a r- random foot sticking out and <laughs> it's like twitching and moving. And it's very good work. Yeah, very good. so it was like, it was his hand, right? Uh-huh. Still holding the frying pan. Yeah. Like, this ain't over, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Dude, you're a puddle on the ground. Give it up. <laughs> so it was his head and his hand and everything else was uh, effects. Yeah. Did you notice that the skin in the puddle, Carl, was <laughs> not the same color as Carl? I did. I did. But this is 95, okay? <laughs> it, they have a makeup department. I know. But I'm. you're not ever going to convince me that Screaming Mad George can do anything wrong. You just, you can't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Watch society and then talk to me after that, okay? Okay. So while Carl is still there talking shit, Mr. Garvey goes and he picks up the wadded piece of paper and he lights up the stove and says, Carl, you know what to do? Carl. He says, Walter, you know what to do. And so Walter goes and puts the piece of paper on top of the pilot and the paper burns up and they all stand and watch. And I would say, I don't know why Sissy kind of insisted <laughs> that Walter watch this, but I guess the kid's been through enough trauma in his life. A little burning man's probably not going to Well, I'm too sure much he more. gets some measure of satisfaction out of it. Probably. Maybe that's what she meant by it. But after this, we're back in the mortuary and we see the aftermath Man, what type of, shit? of our poor antagonist. So immediately upon closing the casket, because because a stack does not want to look at that. <laughs> a doll falls down. And so they ask about the doll naturally, which if they're in such a hurry, why ask about the doll in the first place? Seems like they would have just been like, oh, okay, there's a doll. Move along. But no, they start asking about the doll. And uh, Mr. Sims goes into a story about souls inhabiting dolls. And if they're bodies have been through a lot that's how this happens and so we move into our next story called kkk come uppance we open with this very tasteless ad a politician's ad um basically bitching about um affirmative action that's what he's complaining about but it comes across much like the south park thing they took dark jobs yeah it's just it's a lame commercial yeah, it's horrible. But um, and this is how he's trying to get voters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, I'd even vote for me. I don't know. You know <laughs> what? We saw some billboards between here and Abilene when we went to see your mom. Yeah. That holy shit! I can't believe they let him put that garbage out there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you're driving on I twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Near Abilene, look at the billboards. They're ridiculous. We're from Texas, y'all. You probably don't have I-20 everywhere. They're not going to know what you're talking about when you say I-20. Okay. <laughs> Only but our Texas they, people. If they know what I'm talking about, <laughs> well, never mind, that doesn't work. Because they could be in New Mexico, Louisiana, Arizona. No. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> if you're near Abilene, Texas, look at the billboards. Because there's a couple of them out there that are... I can't believe they let them put those up. They're cringe, to say the least. But, uh... but they are along the same lines. Yes, yes, very much along the same lines. Our story stars Corbin Burnson as Duke Medgar. Also known as the dentist. The dentist, that's right. Uh, Roger Gwenver Smith uh, as Rhodey. Art Evans as Eli. And Tom Everett as one of the image makers. And the reason I bring up Tom Everett is because he's listed in the beginning credits, but he's not listed in the end credits or on IMDb for having this part, which I feel like is a fucking travesty. And I just want to clarify, this roadie is not AKA War Machine. Different roadie. <laughs> this is not Tony Stark's buddy. Well, I believe that uh, Don Cheadle might have called Medgar out on his bullshit. <laughs> oh, for sure. 
But anyway, I was saying I feel like it's a travesty that they didn't have Tom Everett listed anymore because he is probably one of my favorite characters in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. He plays a character named Alfredo and he kind of sounds like that one guy in The Waterboy that you can't understand a word he says. <laughs> so I was just kind of bummed about that. But anyway, so after this this ad, um, we're, we're pulling back on this... Um, Oh, what do you call those goofy houses? It's a plantation house. Uh, plantation house. And there's a lot of press and picketers. And you see Medgar watching them. And he's he's bitching about it. He's, you know, he's he's a piece of shit, basically. And he's using a whole bunch of racial slurs and saying a bunch of uh, horrible stuff. And our image maker, uh, Rhodey, he's kind of coaching him on how to handle the media, the press. And they're going through the house and he's just trying to teach him how to say racist shit and make it less offensive i guess um but he's also uh metker's also giving roadie kind of a history of the house and because there's a big mural on the wall of an old woman sitting in a rocking chair surrounded by dolls and so he's asking about the mural like and telling him it's kind of creepy don't you think and he's like well after the election's over i'm gonna paint over the whole thing and he tells him that when the slaves were freed that the owner of that particular plantation house basically lost his shit and killed every slave that worked there hangings and burnings and and stuff and supposedly the souls of those slaves are in the dolls. Now, when Rhodey asks him if he's ever seen any of the dolls, he says, you know, he tried looking for them, but he never found one. But they go on and he's trying to, to help help him answer questions. And he decides that he's going to turn the camera on himself. So he, hand, well, he hands uh, Medgar the camera and says, film me and I'll tell you how to answer these questions. And so they're going through, he's answering a question and all of a sudden he falls down some stairs. Insert your Tyler Durden line here. But <laughs> he falls down some stairs and I think he snaps his neck, right? And then we go to his funeral and basically this whole story takes place in this one house except for this one scene that's the funeral. And we have uh, Rusty Cundiff's dad playing the priest uh, residing over this uh, funeral. And as Medgar's leaving, he's got the press who start to ask these questions like are you afraid of the house? And he, you know, he uses a line that Rhodey had given him earlier in very poor taste um, and turns it around, saves himself, and they leave. And as he's getting into his limo to go back to his house, we see a doll in the floorboard. And he asks uh, the limo driver, who did you let in the vehicle? And he says he didn't let anybody in the vehicle. So he rolls down the window, throws the doll out, and they drive off. Well, later that night, we start hearing what we, we get into, I guess, what is the doll's perspective. And we see it running through the woods up to the house. And we hear the little panting and stuff. And Medker is going over the video footage of the the mock interview he and uh, Rhodey were doing, and he goes over to the time where Rhodey falls down the stairs. Is this before the two scream or the after the two scream? <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
get to that. You noticed that, right? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll get to it. But um, when he falls, he notices in a still frame that there was a doll in the floor, the same doll that was in the limo. Now, Travis, you can... Well, so so when it was a live shot, right, when he actually fell, you hear one, huh, when he falls. Yeah. And then when he plays back the recording... It's hear, very dramatic. You hear, what? Ah! It's yeah. like you get a normal, the, the scream that we heard when, when uh-huh. we watched it happen, and then you get a Wilhelm scream <laughs> after. Just about. That's yeah. a very dramatic. He's like, ah! ah! Yeah, they just didn't, I don't know, maybe they didn't feel it was impactful enough the first time around. Right. But, drama it up some. <laughs> but this gives Medgar the creeps, obviously. And he's, he's trying to call for his uh, management team after this and telling him something's wrong and we get an, a knock at the door. Now this is it's an old trope, you know, the person that knocks on the door at night and you answer the door and nobody's there. At well, least they... there wasn't a flaming bag of shit on the porch. <laughs> Although in this case there should have been. Right. Or some eggs. <laughs> But um, they do that here, but it's not this exactly the same. Like you look, the doors, you, you look through the door and there's nobody there, but you hear the sound of footsteps running across the floor, which is very creepy. And Medgar sees the doll sitting on top of the stairs and he's like, you, and they begin this kind of like little cat and mouse thing for a few minutes. And he's basically going through all these horrible slurs and he finally gets a hold of the doll and he he uh, sticks it up on a dartboard outside and shoots it with a shotgun, blowing a pretty good chunk of his head off. And he goes back inside and he thinks everything's fine. Well, he goes back in and he's like, I got you. He's feeling really proud of himself. He's, he's feeling very accomplished because he managed to blow a doll apart or damage one severely with a shotgun because mm-hmm. he's a big man. <laughs> but this is when he notices that there's more dolls missing, right? When he goes well, back he notices the that doll is missing. And so he freaks out and he takes flag and he starts wailing on the yeah, painting. And the painting bleeds. The, uh-huh. old, the old woman in there. And saying, that looks that looks very good. It, it did look pretty good. Yeah. I don't know how they accomplished that, but they did They did a good job. And so the doll at that point is swinging from a chandelier and jumps off and attacks him, biting him on the neck. And, um... Hey, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure we fucked up the timeline there, but let's just keep going, okay? I did. I did. I I'm got, sorry. <laughs> I think we got the old lady painting and the swinging from the chandelier thing and the shotgun thing mixed up. Yeah, I totally did. I'm sorry, guys. You're just going to have to just roll with me. Just watch the movie. <laughs> Yeah, watch the movie. <laughs> At any rate, he the doll comes back and he fixes his head. He puts his head back on, right? And so he, he starts to, like, lunge after him again. And Duke's trying to load his shotgun, which is also a funny thing, too. Okay, he does load the shotgun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't understand this. I learned how to hunt using a side-by-side double-barrel shotgun. It's the easiest gun in the world to load. How do you screw that up? I would like, screw it up. In one shot, you can see the brass sticking out. Like, he didn't thumb the shell in all the way. Uh-huh. Which, it's not a bullet, it's a shell. Shotgun shells, other firearms, fire bullets. Just saying. Yeah. So, and then the next shot, it's empty. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you screw that up? So, he anyway. runs back into to the his office and, and slams the door shut. But you can see the doll, like, trying to force the door open, which, that that's a strong doll. But he stops. And I would quote a movie what? right now. What? I can't do it. <laughs> Don't tell us you're going to do it and then not do it. No, you need to watch Clerks too. 
Anyway. Okay. Anyway, so then Medgar notices that there's more dolls missing. Or actually, I think it's all the dolls at this point. All the dolls are missing from this painting, except the old woman. And he starts to, you know, freak out. Oh my God, oh my God. And then he starts hearing little tiny voices behind him. And he turns around and there's like a whole horde of these dolls. Okay, wouldn't it have been better if they'd all been like Chucky and been talking shit while they were chomping on him? I don't know. I find it scarier just like they're little chittering amongst themselves. Okay, but I think it would have been funny if they'd have been talking shit while they were doing it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, I'm fixing to get you, motherfucker. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. they needed, they needed uh, what's it, Brad Dorf to voice one of them. <laughs> it would have been hilarious. I don't think that would work. <laughs> Brad Dorf did an African-American doll. Okay. Okay. You got me. Ice cube. That would work. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, you know what? It would have been, might have been really cool. I'm going back to the first story, but wouldn't it have been funny if when Morehouse like sprung out of the ground, if they just fucked the police started playing as he's going in, knocking off all these guys. Okay. It's odd that you bring that up because at the end, you know, where the, the cop gets melted into the graffiti, uh-huh. I thought that looks like that should be NWA cover art. Right. Um, anyway, we're getting way off topic. <laughs> but I just think it would have been funnier if they had been, I don't know, talking. I don't know. That's the reason I can't really get down with Michael Myers and Jason because they don't talk. Like at least, at least Chucky entertains me. <laughs> and at least Freddy entertains me. At least they're going to tell you why they're going to kill you. Well, I like the strong silent type, so. <laughs> I like it when they talk shit. <laughs> Anyway, keep going. Anyway, so Medgar at this point does the funniest shit in this whole thing is that he grabs this flag to try to try to protect himself. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what good is that going to do? So you think America's like, going to protect him for being a douchebag? I don't, I don't know. It's like, you think this little uh, sheet of fabric is going to protect you from a bunch of tiny little mouths? And at that point, you got to think that it's like a piranha type situation where if you have one, it's probably going to hurt, but it's not going to, you know, do anything to kill you but if you get the swarm on you they're just gonna pick him clean almost you know just right yeah but it's like sticking a bunch of piranhas on a cow you know is the best analogy i can come up with but then you see that the the old mother grandmother disappears from the painting too and is sitting in the rocking chair now with the doll in her lap and they're watching as carnage ensues and the old woman is played by Rusty Cundiff's mother so I thought it was cool that he had his he incorporated his parents into this story it's that really cool. neat. yeah that, that's probably one of the better ways I've seen a family member cut in by a writer slash director whatever yeah because usually they're cheesy yeah but this one was good yeah so that's the end of that story we just hey, hear so and it, I'm, I'm sorry I'm a little slow it took me a long time to catch this every time I I've watched this i've watched that segment and i thought shit that's based on something i just can't place it uh-huh. like who is that guy uh-huh. and i finally figured out who this story absolutely has to be based on it's it's david duke mm-hmm. he was that uh, neo-nazi that was elected for the house of representatives in louisiana mm-hmm. so i think there's a i think med is a name from somebody too but i can't i can't place it right now well i don't know about the name i'm just the fact that you've got basically a racist piece of shit running for office mm-hmm. so yeah yep okay. i finally it took me a minute but I finally caught up. Right. <laughs> so we're back in the uh, mortuary again. And this time our guys are, they're, they're aggravated. Like they may even be past the point of aggravated. They're very impatient. And okay, they're. Look, these guys have killed people, right? Or at least you get that impression. Yeah. At what point would they have said, screw this. 
we're just going to kill this old guy and find the drugs ourselves. Right. Like, I, I mean, feel like that would have already happened. If it was me, and I'm not saying I'd ever do it, but if it's me, I'm just going to kill the person and hunt the house down. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems more effective that way. And, and these guys, like, I don't, even, even if it's just Bulldog, like maybe not the other two. Yeah. But Bulldog's clearly the aggressive one. Uh-huh. It seems like he would have just shot him already. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. You know, or been like beating him up. Yeah. I don't know. They just, these three guys don't strike me as like the patient type. Yeah. Anyway. But they're like, we're over your stories. We're, that's not why we came here. Let's just get our shit and go. But Stack comes upon another body and he's like, you guys are not going to believe this. And they get over there and Sims is like, did you know him? And two of them are like, yeah. And Bulldog's like, no. He's now just... We, we saw him in the neighborhood. Yeah, he's just somebody we've seen around. And um, Sims is like, yeah, he was involved with the shit. You know, he got himself involved in the shit. And so we go into our final story, uh, Hardcore Convert, starring Lamont Bentley as Crazy K and Rosalind Cash in her final film role as Dr. Cushing, which I can only imagine was taken from uh, the character in the Amicus movies, which uh, our writer was a big fan of. Okay, I thought this whole story was taken from the Stanley Kubrick movie, <laughs> Clockwork Orange. That's what it is. It's Clockwork Orange. The difference is, is that you're, I would say, protagonist, but Malcolm McDowell wasn't a protagonist anyway. Right. Like, they're both, the antagonist is the main character in, in uh-huh. both instances, where Malcolm McDowell's character was eventually reformed, and this one does not. Right. But so, this, this this segment does draw out some interesting points, though. It really does. I would say of the four, this one's probably the... I don't want to say heavy-handed, but it's obviously trying to drive a point home. And the director has said he had a lot of people come up to him and say, look, I quit quit the life just because of this short. And that's that really says so something. They, they, they spend quite a bit of time in this segment, but I think that they could have narrowed it down to one scene that you'll, you'll get to in a minute. And that five-minute exchange four-minute exchange between Crazy K and, and the other character, that says it all mm-hmm. pretty much right there. Like, that's the whole, that's that whole thing just in a, in a very compact thing. And I think that was probably the most impactful portion of this, what do you call it, vignette or whatever, mm-hmm. this this story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is, I don't know how I feel about this one, honestly. Yeah. I, I just feel like it went on for too long. It's like the added content for the sake of adding content when really one conversation summed up the point that I feel like they were trying to drive home. Well, again, I think that that and scene probably that you're talking about was, again, to make the audience uncomfortable. Well, it does make you uncomfortable. It's it's. But it, that's the point, is that the whole message that it feels like they're driving towards in this is summed up in that one conversation. Mm-hmm. But there's all the stuff on the front and all the stuff on the back mm-hmm. that you really could have done without. Like, you could have just had more of that. Mm-hmm. That more of that conversation, mm-hmm. and it would have been probably more impactful than some of the stuff that happens before or after. But anyway, so our character Crazy K, um... who shaves the special K <laughs> symbol on their forehead. <laughs> Who does that? Well, it wasn't his forehead. It was well, it's in his hair. Okay, but the guy's hairline starts about half an inch above his eyebrows. So it's no, his... it does not. So, who's, like, who would shave a K into their head? I don't know. Like, that's the least gangster thing you could do. Anyway. Anyway. That's just like you got a bad haircut. That's like your barber's fucking with you right there. Like, if it had been on the back, that would have been even better. Like, does he know? Does he know it's back there? Anyway, our character, Crazy K, he's driving around town at night listening to one of my favorite songs, uh, Born to Die by Spice One. And he sees somebody he knows and proceeds to chase him down. And he gets out of his car after getting to this guy's house and guns him down in his front yard. And then we see three guys silhouetted in the dark running toward him and they then shoot him. So 
here's the thing. They're only silhouetted if you're watching it on VHS. If you're watching it in HD, you can tell exactly who those three guys are. <laughs> I don't know if the, the the lighting is different when they remastered or whatever it was, but you can tell exactly who those three guys yes, are in Yes, you HD can, version. unfortunately. Anyway, but I point. remember the first time I watched it and I couldn't, I mean, maybe it's just me. I mean, I was a kid, so, but I couldn't tell who it was. Well, even that coincidence, these three guys found him in the mortuary. They know who he is. Three guys seem to be the ones that killed him. Right. I wonder what happened. I also had my mom who cannot keep her mouth shut during a movie going, can you tell who it is? Can you tell who these guys are? And I'm oh, like, God. uh, <laughs> no, we've tried watching movies with your mother. <laughs> so you'll know how it ends in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> And my sister always wants to know how it ends the first five minutes of the movie. (laughs) But anyway, so these guys shoot Crazy K multiple times. And from somehow, nobody hears that this whole swad of cops have showed up. So here's the deal. It's not like the cops showed up while they were shooting. Uh I don't know. Maybe they they weren't wearing ear protection. Uh Maybe their ears were ringing really bad. And they they didn't know when 15 squad cars with their lights on showed up behind them. And uh, one of our cops is played by the writer, Darren Scott, and they shoot down the three guys, shoot them down, it shows them dying, and looks like Crazy K has been saved. And he even says it, he's like, saved by the motherfucking cops. So we span, we have a time jump of four years, and Crazy K's been locked up, and we meet Dr. Cushing, and she gets a summary of Crazy K's past and says, he'll do. So we as the audience don't know what he'll do for, but we're gonna find out. So so she goes to his cell and says, how would you like to be released early? Or he's sitting in his underwear. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which that's a choice, right? He's in his own his own space and he's doing sit-ups in his boxer well, shorts. But at least, yeah, I was going to say, at least at this point, this it's is the, just boxers. <laughs> so after the initial part where he jumps up, after, after the part where he gets shot, this is the most clothes he wears through the whole movie. Right. <laughs> so... She asks him how would he like to be released and he calls bullshit. But she says if he goes through behavioral modification that he can be released. So he agrees to it. And then they take him on transport up to a house that looks very much like the house in House on Haunted Hill. I mean, it's not the same house, but it's up on a hill and it's lit. So they, he starts, they lead him through and he starts kind of getting a lay of yeah, the land, so in, to speak. By the time he gets there, he's wearing a G-string. No, not yet. Not at this point. Pretty close. <laughs> no, he's wearing... Oh, he's... no, the cocksock comes later. <laughs> gotcha. But as he's walking through, he sees these bodies in bags getting wheeled by, and he gets this look on his face like, oh, shit. Okay, let me just stop. <laughs> Who walks a prisoner through the thing in their underwear? I, I don't know. Honey. I don't get it. <laughs> Like, there's no jumpsuit. There's no, like, they're just going to walk this guy around. Yeah. Like, in his drawers and barefoot. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, I can't get past that. Why is the dude in his drawers in every shot? I don't know. All right. Sorry. Maybe, to show, maybe to show us what great shape he was in. I don't know. Well, the dude was in good shape, but still. <laughs> but anyway, they throw him into a very tiny cell. It looks like the size of a large dog kennel. And Well, he can't even stand up in it. No, he's just like crouched down in there. But they have stuck him next to a white supremacist and... 
he's basically going on a spill about uh, wanting to recruit him. So, without getting into the whole thing, because there's a lot of the crap that he says that I don't care to repeat, mm-hmm. he basically thanks Crazy K for killing black people. Yeah. I mean, doing his job for him. Yeah. That's basically what he does. And then, he, yeah, he tries to recruit yeah, him. Yeah, because he, he asked him, he's like, those guys you killed, what color were they? Yeah. And Crazy K has to stop and think about it like, oh shit. Like he hadn't, he that thought never entered his mind. Right. And that's the most, I don't want to say repentant, that you see him in the whole movie because he's not really. Mm-hmm. But like that's the only time the light bulb comes on. Yeah. And that's the moment I was talking about that conversation right there. Mm-hmm. That feels like that was the message for this short. Mm-hmm. And that was the most impactful part of the short. Mm-hmm. It All the other stuff was just noise. Yeah. About you need to come together instead of tearing each other apart from yeah, the I just, inside. I feel like a lot of the other underwear shots could have gone away. <laughs> I think I'm starting to think those just made you uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. It just felt unnecessary. Okay, so you you know, what was it? The Halloween remake. At the end, where's that dude and that chick and they're having sex for 15 minutes? You mean Friday the 13th yeah, remake? Whatever. It sucked. But. <laughs> You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. It just felt unnecessary, didn't it? Yeah. I, apples thing. and oranges to me. No, it's the no. same thing. It was just an unnecessary thing that they added in there. How many how many horror films have you sat through where there's some chick wearing itty bitty panties or little bitty t-shirt and yes, it's unnecessary. It doesn't do anything for the plot, but it's just a thing, I guess. I wasn't bothered by it at all, except for when I was a kid. Then I was kind of like, um, I, okay. I'm seeing way more of him than I need to see. Maybe I, maybe I picked a bad example i guess the thing is is if you're gonna do it in a slasher that's one thing because nobody really cares much about the plot anyway Uh you want to be scared that's the point but in in something like this where you're trying to drive home a point it feels like you should cut out the surplus Hmm. does that make sense I, I guess like I don't see any surplus, home, but then that needs to be it. This is the point. So I think what we can get from this is that this this next few minutes made Travis very uncomfortable, as well as it did me, as it should anybody. And I think that was the point. But or Travis had a real big problem looking at this guy's junk for a while. <laughs> but anyway, so I wish I could remember the name that they had for the machine they strap him onto. I, it was a gyro. It looks like a torture table. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they call it a, I don't know, bullshit name. Yeah, I can't remember. But they strap him down to it. And, and... they put the dick clamp on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, why did he need a clamp there? <laughs> I don't know. Like, we're fixing to show you pictures of people getting murdered. Like, you're afraid that's going to do it for <laughs> and you? And they so. put on these big, like, rubber kitchen gloves on him. No, it's like the gloves you put on when you're going to check a cow that's pregnant. They go up to his shoulder. <laughs> How do you know this stuff? Come on. I'm a farm boy. I'm just telling you. If you've ever been an ag, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, And they put like electrodes on the tips of these rubber gloves. What the fuck is that going to do? This is a rubber glove. I guess to check his vitals? How? It's a rubber glove. I don't know. going to check shit through a rubber glove. I don't know. And they uh, put a... They put a Marcellus Wallace style ball gag in his mouth. No, it's like the ball from the phantasm minus the spike. (laughs) Yeah. And they pump him full of this uh, green liquid and Crazy K tells Dr. Cushing he's going to fuck her up real good after this. You know what that shit reminded me of? What? It was a medicine they used to get when I was a kid. I don't remember what it was, but they called it grasshopper juice. You remember that? (laughs) No, I was thinking Vicks 44. Like you had the red variety and you had the green variety. Oh God, it was nasty. (laughs) It was terrible. That's what it looks like though. (laughs) 
Yeah. We anyway. could, we'd go on forever about awful childhood medicines, but we will not. He tells her he's going to fuck her up real good. And she's like, I don't think so. But she wants him to take a look at something. And then we cue back up Spice One's Born to Die. And this machine, this rack that he's on starts spinning like really fucking fast. And he's got like this big metal viewfinder over his eyes. It's like one of those Viewmaster things that had the little plastic wheels that you put in and you yeah. match the... Yeah. Except it doesn't show anything. It doesn't show any it, cute, you don't get fuzzy animals. Of in there. Yeah, no. He instead he gets some of the most graphic, sad butchery I've ever seen it, in my it life. It shows real photos of racial persecution. We'll yes, call it that. Um, and they were real photos. They got them what from Baylor University. Some of them came from Baylor. Here in Texas. I thought that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It doesn't surprise me that some of them came from Texas, but but it's a lot of really graphic imagery, and it has no impact on him whatsoever. Uh, I don't know if it doesn't have any, but I don't know that he's the type of guy that would ever admit to it. Do you know what I mean? But, he doesn't own his actions at any point through this. Thing. Right. It's um, all somebody else's fault. Even if, even if he did, he's going to throw up that smoke screen that he's not, you know, it's somebody else's fault. But these images are intercut with more modern depictions of gang violence. And like I said, it goes on for the whole song, just about. And I also have to comment that Christopher Young's score throughout this is just amazing. Those who know his work know that he did music for Hellraiser, uh, I guess would be what he's the most famous for. But he has done some great, great work. And in this movie in particular. And once we get done with this scene, he then goes into a sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah, they don't give this guy any breaks. They take him from one medieval torture to another. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a sensory deprivation tank in person, but this does not look anything like any of the other ones that I've seen on... Okay, this doesn't look like the one in Altered States. We'll just go there. Right, it's like a big water tank. or Yeah, it's like steel water, water tank. Yeah. This is just a big hole in the ground, and they strap him to an electric chair and lower him in there. Right. It's not really an electric chair, but that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And they go on with some light strobing, and it's kind of... You think they ask him if he had epilepsy or anything before they put him in there? <laughs> they tell him, ask him if he was photosensitive? Maybe. I, I guess they would have had to. Well, shit out of luck if they didn't ask first. He'd yeah. been in trouble. But it is kind of jarring, but it I, I think it helps the effect of what they're doing is that they're showing him people that he's killed over the years. Um, so I would just like to go ahead and point out, though, that the whole point of a sensory deprivation chamber is that, like, the temperature around you is the same as your body temperature. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. Hence, sensory deprivation. Well, she says everything that he's going to see and hear is coming from his own mind. There's nothing in there. Everything that's projecting is from his own mm. mind. Um, she said the mind will have nothing to feed upon but itself. Ah. Um, so he starts seeing these people that he's killed over the years, including a little girl who caught a stray bullet through her wall. He says bullet ain't got a name on it. <laughs> yeah, but it's really sad. And he's starting to get aggravated and Dr. Cushing's like, are are they telling you stuff you don't want to hear? And he's getting upset. He's blaming basically the world for how he turned out. He doesn't want to own up to any of his actions. And she's begging him at this point, like, you're not going to get another chance. The, the closest thing to repentance that you or whatever that you see from him is she says something about nightmare and he says what about my nightmare mm-hmm. I guess growing up the way he did and he said so now I'm the nightmare right so basically he's, he's 
he is blaming his actions being a product of his environment. He, he, mm-hmm. He's blaming everybody else. None of this is his fault. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it was his choices or anything like that. And then you get to the end and he's like, I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. That he just keeps repeating that over and over again. Yeah. And then we we pan out and we see those three guys from before that had gunned him down and said, we don't give a fuck either, motherfucker, and just start laying into him with, with the bullets. And this time we he dies and we find out that this was all a dream or maybe it was some type of purgatory. It was like a near-death experience followed by actual death. And we go back to the mortuary and Mr. Sims is saying, I don't think you can re- rehabilitate those types. You just kill him. And at this point, he starts getting guns pointed at him in every direction. And these guys are like, you've been fucking with us this whole night. What? What? You knew it was us that killed him. And then we see the reveal that those three guys are these three guys. And, you know, like we said, we, you kind of as an audience already know that. It's not some big revelation or anything. If you're watching it on DVD, you know who it is. Yeah. So. But if you were my ass watching it at 16 years old, you went, oh, If you're shit. watching it on some shitty rental VHS that's been played 300 <laughs> times, you right. can't tell who they are. It's just three shapes. Right. So now they're they're fed up. They're like, we want the shit right now. And Bulldog makes him lead them to where the drugs are. So we're going down and you start noticing little weird stuff. Um, he's going through and he's lighting bulbs with just his finger. And that for me would be red flag number and one. these guys are following him and they never noticed. Right. That he's just touching the light bulbs and they're coming on. Do do the poopy pop. We gonna get the shit on. So they get led into a room where they think that the drugs are. And it turns out that it's a bunch of those sign-in books from when you go to a funeral. So now they're plum pissed and Bulldog pistol whips Sims in the back of the head to where he oh, he's just hurt. So he, he gets really, really fucking mad. Like I can't even express how mad he is. He's just dripping crazy at this <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> but he goes into another room where there are three coffins and he says it's in the coffins. Where else would I hide it? So these stupid asses are like, we're going to get the shit. <laughs> they go in there and I think it's stacked. It's like, I better not open this up and find another dead motherfucker. And when he opens the lid, sure enough, he sees another dead motherfucker. It just so happens to be him. And then Ball opens up his and sees his body in there too. And then Bulldog also opens his and sees a wax finds a model. wax museum <laughs> display. But. So I think if you see the others, it never shows them with their body in the casket in the same frame. Right. So it probably was them laying in the casket. I think he's the only one where it shows him standing next right to, next to it. his body. So yeah. I guess, you know, he can't be in two places at the same time. But it is clearly a dummy. Yeah. So they start freaking out. And, you know, what's going on? And he says, after you killed Crazy K, a few of his boys killed you. I guess you didn't make it. And they're like, no, I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing this. And then he's like, what are you trying to say? We're dead, motherfucker. And he's fairy, <laughs> which I can't do it justice, but it's great. And they're like, well, if we're so dead, what are we doing in a funeral home with your crazy ass? And then he tells them this ain't no funeral home. And they just, all three of them come over with complete terror. And he says, welcome to hell, motherfuckers. And about that time, you get this little pink CG tongue out of the space of his the gap in his front teeth which best use of a letterman <laughs> gap i've ever seen <laughs> right 
right? <laughs> and then he starts to transform into Satan. And the work here is astronomical. It's just, it's it's amazing. Well, now, he hated the makeup, right? Yes, he did. And so they just went with the was face it, Like six or eight hours? Arms. Yeah. And the rest of it is not him. Like, right. It's a, it's a dummy or something. Yeah, he just like of. stepped into it and put his head in. Like one of those cardboard cutout Yeah, but things. apparently he hated the whole makeup process. Yeah. Which it, here's the deal. It's Clarence Williams. They could have stuck like glued some horns onto his forehead and he still would have been scary as hell. Right. But nonetheless, the monster is is amazing. And I got to tell you, the first time I saw it, I just about shit myself. Like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I appreciated the fact that it wasn't your typical devil. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't Tim Curry from Legend. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at the drawings, the the concept art for this, they made him almost look like a big tree, you know. And some of the drawings are amazing. If um, I have the uh, the Scream Factory edition Blu-ray, and they show him like looking like a big tree, and there was like a, another thing where they had this concept of a mouth in his stomach with a bunch of sharp teeth, and I couldn't tell if. I think they got left out of the last um, version. It worked out the way they did it. Yeah, but it looked so good. Like, it really, really looked so good. And enough that, like I said, it scared me. Travis and I, growing up in religious families and stuff, this is just your ultimate punishment, you know, to find out you've you've lived this terrible life, now you're going to burn in hell for eternity. So that was something for me as a kid that really stuck with me. I couldn't shake it for days after watching it. And I think ultimately that's what made me so scared of this movie to begin with. Now, as an adult, it's all the real world shit, obviously, that scares me the most. Not so much the religious aspect of it. But at the time, I can remember just really being terrified of that end. So yeah, these guys are kind of burning in hell and we we fade out. So let's talk about burning in hell. <laughs> Did you see how they were burning? In CG flames? It was so bad. Oh, I thought it was fine. Okay, two of them looked at like they were at a rave. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Ball? There was the one in the middle? Yeah. It looked like an emo kid dancing. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, it was so bad. Uh, but we we roll into our credits, and I watch every time I watch this movie, I watch all the credits because this movie has the most kick-ass soundtrack. I love it. It it's on my phone. I listen to it a lot. But uh, yeah, guys, that's that's uh, that's it. I think we're gonna wrap it up. Yes. So Travis, final thoughts on the film? It it's not a bad movie, right? It's not for me. It's not my. I'm just not an anthology guy. Mm-hmm. I guess if they'd have made like if they'd have taken the first one with the cops in it and made a whole movie out of that, I'm good. If they'd have taken the one with David Allen Greer made a whole movie out of that, I'm good. I probably could have done without the one with the dolls in it. If they, you know, I don't know. Even Crazy K, if they had had a little more content, and a little less underwear, <laughs> more clothes, <laughs> I probably could have watched a whole movie on that. But when you make shorts out of them, that, I feel like it loses something. Mm. So you should definitely watch it. But it's not the rewatch value is not very high for me. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I would say the opposite. I. I've watched this movie probably a hundred times, not literally, but I've watched it at least a dozen times in the last few years. It's one now that, yeah, I used to be scared of it, but now I can put it on to do some really cool shit like work and laundry and stuff, but I love it. It's a, it's almost a security blanket for me at this point. It's one of those comfort movies. I would say if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Um, but stop there. <laughs> but definitely they, stop there. They did make a sequel. <laughs> And it's got Keith David in it. And he's fantastic. He was in The Thing. He's in a ton of other movies. They live. And if you want to see a Keith David movie, pick any movie other than Tales from the Hood 2. Because it's pretty awful. He did great. But... 
the movie's not good. Listen, one man can't make that movie good. <laughs> like, he did good. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, but it's still a shit movie. And I will say that part three got slightly better. And they made a third one? You remember? They had Tony Todd in that one. Oh, well, apparently not. Well, it didn't make an impression on you, obviously. <laughs> to me, it was, it was... Same thing. If you want to see Tony Todd, watch Candyman. <laughs> It was a little bit better than part two. Like, they tried to get back with a more serious tone. It's still not very good, though. But, yeah, absolutely check the movie out if you've never seen it before. And if you have, then watch it again and again and again. Cause or you, not. Because you love that shit. <laughs> or watch it once a year. <laughs> Maybe. So... That about does it. I'm going to give a quick shout out to our content creator of the week. Um, Now, doing my research for this movie, I came across a channel on YouTube called Prim's Hood Cinema. That's P-R-I-M-M apostrophe S Hood Cinema. And the guy gave a hilarious rundown of this movie. And Travis and I, of course, went down the rabbit hole and had to watch every other video that he made. So this guy, if you're looking for a a beat-by-beat type of review, this ain't it. No. Um, it's it's almost like Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. But the guy's funny. He's hilarious. Definitely check him out. Yeah. So I guess we're going to say adios and be sure to come back next week when we talk about the... It's called Deathgasm. You haven't done your homework. <laughs> Metal up your ass. Yeah. That was terrible. I love this movie. <laughs> I was trying to think of what year it came out in so, and, and it's I just another, loved it. It's another New Zealand movie. Yeah. Right? So yeah, that's right. this will be the second one. Right, the second movie from New Zealand that we've done. Right. So they've got some comedy chops down there. See, they know how to do horror in New Zealand. They know how to do a horror comedy. (laughs) Because this is definitely it. So if you're one of those folks that wants to know what kind of movie it is, and so you know how you should watch it, it is a horror comedy. If you walk into it thinking it's a serious horror movie, you're going to be disappointed. So just go in, be ready to laugh at it. And you can find it on Shudder. If you have a Shudder subscription, um, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob, he does a pretty good episode of it. Um, if not, watch watch the movie on its own on Prime. It's terrific. So we'll see you next week, guys. I actually recommend oh. watching the movie and then watch it with Joe Bob. It's better that way. Okay. Watch it twice, back to back. <laughs> anyway, that's all for me. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Chill or be chilled? Hey, everybody. Welcome to <laughs> I thought about it. It didn't work. <laughs> what was that? It's the tagline for the movie. Okay. Well, it works for the movie. It doesn't work for this. It That's why I started laughing. I was doing it over again. Son of a bitch.